Well, as we uh, continue our class on biblical and reformed worship, we come now to the first of two classes on the sacraments or the ordinances uh, of baptism and the Lord's Supper. In the last eight classes or so, uh, we have focused upon the ministry of the Word in its various forms in the worship of God's people. Uh, By this I mean we've looked at the word read, the word prayed, the word sung, and the word preached. And as we think about the ministry of word and sacrament, we come now to that second category, the sacraments. But as we do, we should understand that our focus remains upon the word, specifically the gospel that the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper signify. The handout uh, in front of you, you have a uh, partial text of chapter 28 uh, and then chapter 29 of the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. And uh, we'll refer to these briefly in our study this morning. Uh, If you would, look with me at chapter 28 paragraph 1, which introduces baptism and the Lord's Supper. It says, Baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances of positive and sovereign institution. They are appointed by the Lord Jesus, the only lawgiver, and are to be continued in his church to the end of the age. The confession here calls... uh, baptism and Lord's Supper ordinances, which means they were ordained by the Lord. They are of positive and of sovereign institution, and that means that by His sovereign will, He appointed them for the purposes that He determined. A positive ordinance or law is something that uh, is in addition to uh, the law of nature, if you will. Um, It's something that's not demanded by nature. Uh, Unlike the moral law that's codified in the Ten Commandments, baptism and the Lord's Supper are not part of the natural moral law. They are sovereignly instituted specifically as new covenant signs. But even while they have not from the beginning been embedded in the natural order of things, they nonetheless are to be continued in the church until the end of the present age. The passages there, Matthew 28 and 1 Corinthians 11, uh, reference both their sovereign institution by the Lord and their perpetual practice to the end of the age. Um, And as I said, we call both of them ordinances and sacraments. A sacrament is simply something that is sacred, and as such, Uh, Sacrament is an appropriate term both for baptism and the Lord's Supper. We can use those terms interchangeably. They've got a slightly slightly different meaning, but they apply just as equally to these two sacraments. Now, Pastor Will will be addressing the subject of the Lord's Supper next week. And so today we will focus on baptism. Let's uh, look then at uh, chapter 29 from the confession. 
It says, baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ. To those baptized, it is a sign of their fellowship with him in his death and resurrection and of their being grafted into him of remission of sins and of submitting themselves to God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. And um, the scriptures here will we'll have occasion to reference most of those as we go on. I want to continue reading the uh, next paragraph, though. <clears throat> those who personally profess repentance toward God and faith in and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ are the only proper subjects of this ordinance. The outward element to be used in this ordinance is water in which the individual is to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then the last paragraph here, immersion or dipping of the person in water is necessary for this ordinance to be administered properly. So this is uh, what our confession succinctly states about baptism. Paragraph 1 here deals with the theology or the spiritual significance of baptism. Paragraph 2 deals with the proper subjects of baptism, that is, who should be baptized. And paragraphs 3 and 4 deal with the mode of baptism or how we baptize. <clears throat> now we'll be focusing on the theological elements and uh, if we have time uh, we'll address the others <clears throat> but um, we will not follow the uh, outline of the confession precisely though we will hit all of its points as we consider the theology of baptism um, but we'll look a bit more broadly at the question and I'm sorry that uh, <clears throat> I don't have an outline for you on this we will be looking at a lot of scriptures together so you can jot them down as we go <clears throat> now let me ask, when you think of baptism, do you think of it primarily as something that the individual does, or something that the church does, or something that God does? Any thoughts on that? I, I mean, it, it's hard to separate the three. Um, you've got the, the, the work of the Lord in you and, your, and then the individual's response to the work the Lord has done to you but it's also supposed to be done at least you know the baptism we didn't read it but the second part of chapter 28 talks about that being administered by the proper individuals those people who are you know already appointed for that so yeah so it, yeah. it's hard to separate them into and you can distinguish between them trying to separate them from. yeah that's 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 very good um <clears throat> I, I ask the question this way um, because I think a lot of people um, probably don't see the importance of all three aspects, at least not uh, as clearly as they should. They tend to see maybe one or two primarily. Um, and this can differ in different uh, traditions or denominations. Um, <clears throat> and I think they're all important you know, to understand in their own role and as they work together. A very helpful book on baptism gives uh, this definition. Baptism is a church's act of affirming 
and portraying a believer's union with Christ by immersing him or her in water and a believer's act of publicly committing him or herself to Christ and his people, thereby uniting a believer to the church and marking off him or her from the world. Now this is good as far as it goes, but this definition is confined really only to the action of two parties, uh, not three. Um, Now I'm sure they wouldn't deny God's role, but the definition itself doesn't account for it directly. But if the sacrament of baptism is a means of grace to the one baptized, God must be sovereignly acting in it to confer grace upon them. And if Christ has sovereignly ordained that the church carry out this sacrament, their action is carried out under his authority and in his name, even as it is uh, with the continuing sacrament of the Lord's Supper. So uh, while I'm not going to try to rework the definition I just read, we must keep in mind that baptism is something that God does. As a means of grace, we must understand that God is acting in the sacrament of baptism. Baptism is something that God does through the church that he has authorized and instructed to carry out this commission. And it is something that God does in and through the faith which he has given to the one who is being baptized and who is exercising that faith in baptism. So yes, it is an act of the church and it is an act of the believer, but in and through both of these, it is an act of God. I want to spend some time looking at various texts in the New Testament that address baptism. In particular, I want us to consider the close relationship that baptism has to conversion in the New Testament and to the believer's uh, response to the gospel of Christ. We'll see how baptism is associated with various aspects of conversion as well as certain benefits of the gospel. Sometimes Scripture's even speaking as though it confers these benefits directly. Uh, So we'll look also um, at associated verses which help us to see that baptism beautifully signifies so much of what comes to us in the gospel through faith alone. Um, Biblically and uh, most simply, baptism is the believing response to the gospel. It is what we are called to do uh, when we hear the gospel and when we believe it and repent. Um, It is our response in faith obedience to the Lord's commands. Uh, But baptism is not merely, as we say, or even primarily about what we do, but what God does and, in fact, what he has done. Even the acts that we do are the working of his power and grace. Faith and repentance themselves are his gifts of grace. And uh, that's really the the, the first uh, thing I want to look at is the relationship of faith and repentance uh, to baptism, how we see these coming together um, in the New Testament. And so if you will turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And also, um, 
while you're in Acts, go ahead and turn to Acts 11 as well. Acts 2, uh, 38 says, now the context here is, of course, um, the conclusion of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, the, uh, the first public proclamation of the risen Christ. And um, as he's exposited certain Old Testament passages, uh, he's coming to the conclusion of his sermon. Um, and uh, in fact, he's responding now because the people asked in light of what he had preached, brothers, what shall we do? And in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we see here, again, they had heard the gospel and they were believing the gospel. Um, The Lord had granted faith and um, in their inquiry as to what they should do, they were told in conjunction with that faith to repent of their sin and to be baptized. <clears throat> so we see faith and repentance and baptism all coming uh, together here. In, um, in Acts 11, verse 13, here we have um, Peter uh, recounting to the church in Jerusalem just what uh, had happened when he had brought the gospel to the Gentile Cornelius. <clears throat> and um, he's, he's telling how when he preached the gospel there, how the Lord worked, how he brought conversion, and, um, and then what, uh, what happened after that. So in verse 13 it says, And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, this is uh, Cornelius, send to Joppa and bring Simon Peter, who was, or Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message which, by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. So he's referring to what had happened to um, the apostles and, and the other disciples on the day of Pentecost, how the Holy Spirit had fallen on them, and now it had fallen on these Gentiles just as on th- those at the beginning. And he says, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, that is, the the leaders in the Jerusalem church, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Okay, so Cornelius was told that Peter would come and preach the message by which they would be saved. And in hearing the message... Um, they were granted faith um, and 
Peter witnessed their conversion as the Holy Spirit came upon them. And so with uh, this, con- this evidence of conversion, with uh, the faith that they had, <clears throat> um, the, uh, the next step, and we don't see it right here, we'll, we'll look at it later, but when he says, who was I to stand in God's way, he's talking about the fact that he went ahead and baptized them uh, because of the presence and the evidence of faith which uh, also included this repentance which the leaders understood that God has granted a repentance that leads to life. And so again we see the faith and repentance coming together in this moment of conversion and being then um, manifested and, and signified in the act of baptism for these new believers. Uh, next I want to look at um, a couple of other scriptures which deal with um, the fact that uh, baptism um, is an appeal or a pledge for a good conscience. And uh, we, we see this in 1 Peter 3, 21. Um, and I want to uh, look also at Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. So uh, 1 Peter uh, 3.21 says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, and he's referencing the the method by which God saved Noah and his family and uh, judged the world. says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you as not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Peter is saying that um, one of the significant elements of baptism is that it is an appeal to God for a good conscience. Um, Now, it is not that which provides a good conscience in itself. And uh, that's why I want to look at Hebrews 9, 13 to 14. Because there, uh, the writer tells us, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so, here the writer is attributing the purifying of our conscience to the blood of Christ. That is the, uh, the, the efficient thing which uh, brings about the uh, good conscience for the believer. Um, it is uh, said in Hebrews that, that, that the blood of bulls and goats are insufficient to that end, but Christ's blood can purify the conscience. 
Um, and of course, this again is talking about how when we're forgiven of our sins, when we're converted to Christ um, and we're made new creatures, we have a clean conscience before God. And so back in Peter, First uh, Peter, he's saying that this uh, reality is also signified in the act of baptism, that in the, the surrender of oneself and, and turning to God for salvation and undergoing baptism, um, it is uh, a, a trusting appeal to God um, that that good conscience which Christ provides us through his blood uh, will be ours as well. Um, now there is another um, thing that First Peter 3 tells us, and um, it can be uh, a point of confusion, I think, for a lot of people. Um, again, it reads, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. And he qualifies that, not the removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for the good conscience through the resurrection of Christ. And so um, he says that baptism now saves you. The question is, what, what does this mean? How does baptism save you, or, or in what manner could this be? And um, <clears throat> I think it's important to understand that this is not saying, again, that um, there's anything effective in the water to bring salvation. It is the blood of Christ by which we are saved, and that alone. Um, but um, this is really uh, a, a part of speech which is called a synecdoche. It is, it is a, a part of something that represents the whole, okay? So when you think about salvation, um, there are many, many aspects um, to it, or many representations of it in the scriptures. And uh, baptism brings together all that is involved in conversion. It represents the whole wonder and grace of conversion in this one believing act. As a means of grace, it brings to the believer the blessing of Christ in the gospel by the working of the Spirit. Um, so again, it is the work of Christ by which we're saved. Um, it is faith alone, which is the instrument of our justification. But, um, but baptism really signifies all that is involved with our conversion to Christ. And we'll be talking about more of those elements uh, as we go on. Um, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> let's, let's go ahead and, and move on to the next point, and that is baptism is to be done in the name of the triune God. And for this, I want us to look at Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. <clears throat> Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. <clears throat> says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. Now there's a lot that could be talked about in this passage, but I really just want to focus on the fact that baptism is done in the name of the triune God, name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that is, by the way, the singular name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune God. So in baptism, the triune God puts his sign upon us, uh, making us his and marking us as his, being in covenantal union um, with him and uh, receiving all the blessings and obligations of that covenant. And we hear some of those obligations here. That is, we're to be taught to obey everything that he has commanded. It is a, a total giving over of oneself as, um, as he makes us his in the act of baptism. So we enter into this relationship among other things, among things like being sons and citizens and subjects. But here we enter into this relationship as disciples, um, being taught to obey all that he has commanded. And um, it says that he is with us always, um, both as we carry out this commission, and he's with us always empowering our obedience to his commands. Uh, it is in his name and authority that the gospel goes out, and it is into his name and authority that believers are brought and baptized and called to live. <clears throat> now, um, we're going to look now at, at, at various other blessings of the gospel, both uh, forensic and transformative, that is, um, things which are declarative um, and uh, legal in nature and things that are um, transformative of our lives, that are making us new creatures and through regeneration and sanctification and things. So um, these various blessings of the gospel are portrayed by and associated with baptism. And the first that I want to look at under this is our union with Christ, because really all the others are related to this. Um, <clears throat> and um, we're going to look first at Romans chapter 6. And um, let me get somebody to read Romans Six uh, verses one through eleven. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died for sin still live? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? You are very therefore within my house of death in order that. Thank you. 
Okay, thank you, Veronica. <clears throat> so there's a lot of um, <clears throat> language in here that indicates our union uh, with Christ. Um, it says um, <clears throat> that um, those of us who are baptized into Christ or baptized into his death. It says that we're united with him in death and we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. We've died with Christ. We shall live with him. Um, and then <clears throat> in verse 11, it says, so you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So everything in our lives as Christians um, should really be understood uh, as it is in union with Christ. Um, prior to our conversion, we were in union with Adam. We were united with him in death and in sin and um, under judgment and corruption. But as Christ made us his, we are united with him through his death by which he put sin to death and um, united with him in his resurrection by which he gives us life. And so the life we live, as uh, Paul talks about in uh, Galatians 2.20, is a life that we live by faith in the Son of God, um, and it is he who lives in us and us in him. So that union with Christ is essential to understanding really everything about the Christian life. Um, and, um, and here Paul associates that union with being baptized into Christ. And so baptism signifies uh, that reality for us as well. <clears throat> Paul also um, more succinctly states this over in Galatians 3.27, where he simply says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So there's another uh, picture of our union with him and uh, that coming and being depicted in, in baptism. Now one other uh, reality, <clears throat> blessing, benefit of the gospel that comes to us in Christ and is also associated in uh, terms related to baptism is our regeneration or our new life or being born of God. And um, there are several passages that touch on this slightly differently. But as we just read in uh, Romans 6, <clears throat> um, excuse me. Again, I'll just read verses 1 to 4 again. But what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so as we are buried with him in baptism, united with him in his death, 
so also in baptism we're raised um, to walk in newness of life. So again, depicting this uh, this resurrection life um, in in the act of baptism. Uh, another passage is Colossians 2, verses 12 to 13, where Paul writes, <clears throat> Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. So again, here's this new life being made alive together with him um, through baptism. As we're raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. So, <clears throat> um, another passage which uh, makes reference to this is Titus 3 verses 4 to 7 again it talks about uh, the coming of the gospel and the grace of the gospel to the believer but he, he uses very interesting uh, language to, to describe it he, he says in verse 4 but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ the Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so he describes this uh, in terms of the washing of regeneration and of course regeneration is being made new creatures it's being born again it's um, being given new life and um, he speaks of it as, as the washing of regeneration associating that with um, with water and, and, and likely um, the water of baptism and we see um, uh, another illusion of that type over in John 3 uh, verses 1 to 5 with uh, Nicodemus it says now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews this man came to Jesus by night and said rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him Jesus answered him truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So here's a, another reference to being born again or being regenerate. Um, and here more specifically stated... Um, <clears throat> In terms now of water and spirit, um, both of which are, are associated with with uh, baptism. So I'm not saying this is a direct reference to baptism, but but those um, 
associations uh, there are, are, are brought together in, in baptism as well. Now, next thing I want to look at is the idea of um, the baptism of the Spirit or the receiving of the Spirit and how that relates to, um, to baptism as well. And uh, we already looked at Acts 2.38, and um, I'll just read it quickly again. Peter responds to them saying, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, <clears throat> again, here it was Pentecost, and those uh, believers who had been gathered in the upper room had received the poor, had received the Spirit um, and had manifested that reality through uh, speaking in tongues and such. But now, as Peter had concluded his sermon and the people are responding in faith, um, Peter tells them to, to repent and be baptized, and he indicates um, that there's an association then of the giving of the Spirit with, with baptism. And um, again, that's not to say that it is the act of baptism by which the Spirit comes to a believer. In fact, the Spirit comes to a believer to make him a believer. Um, but nevertheless, the, the, the whole of conversion um, and the various aspects of conversion are, are in many ways associated with the act of baptism, which is what, what makes it such an incredible sign um, for the New Covenant um, in distinguishing um, those who belong to Christ from those who, who don't. And so we see this connection with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> um, we had looked uh, earlier at uh, Acts 11 with uh, Peter and Cornelius. And again, in that, uh, in that passage, Peter talks about how when I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so here, as the Lord pours out his spirit on these new believers, um, it's, it's seen as a baptism of the spirit. But Peter's immediate response to that is, well, then they need to be baptized um, with water. So these, these go very closely together. <clears throat> um, let's see, I think, uh, I think we'll, uh, another, you know, another passage closely associated is Acts 1, 5 to 8. Um, And uh, yeah, I think I think we'll just move on to the next one. The next point is um, <clears throat> that baptism is associated with uh, the forgiveness or the remission of sin. And now we've seen a couple of times in Acts two thirty eight where where Peter uh, said just that: uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. 
Um, and really the idea here is, is that um, be, be baptized in response to the gospel, be baptized into Christ um, as those who through the grace of God have come to believe and had their sins forgiven. And um, the, the forgiveness of sin isn't effected through the act of being baptized, but it is depicted in the act of being baptized. Um, we see the same thing in Acts 22:16, where Paul, after uh, the Lord had appeared to him on the road to Damascus and had gone into the city and had been um, blind and uh, waiting there um, for uh, for the Lord's instructions, who then uh, told Ananias to go and um, proclaim to him what the Lord had prepared for him. And he concludes in uh, verse 16 saying, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And so again, we see that close association with the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins, and the washing of baptism. Um, Well, next... um, want to look at the idea of, of, of adoption um, or being made children of God. Um, and uh, we'll look at Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29, and also Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. So there's there's a a lot here. Um, He says that in Christ, we're all sons of God and that through faith. Okay, so there's the instrument of, of faith. But he's but he then says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And we looked at that a minute ago. But we see, uh, again, baptism and faith being associated here. But here, baptism is associated with being made sons of God. And, um, and ultimately down in, in verse 29, he also says um, that you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. And so there's is being brought into the family of God, um, which uh, brings all of the benefits of, of being uh, sons and heirs. And that is effected, or at least depicted, that is, 
um, through baptism as we die to our former life, our former association and are raised now in union with Christ um, to be co-heirs with him as sons, as children of God. So also uh, Ephesians 2 verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so this doesn't reference baptism, but it it speaks of the same reality. And um, I, I wanted to look at this just to show that Again, baptism um, is associated with, with this uh, reality of being made children of God, um, which, which Ephesians here uh, spells out a little more fully. But, um, but baptism richly uh, depicts that, that reality as Galatians shows us. And I think uh, lastly here, we'll look at the reality um, the benefits of conversion of uh, the gospel of union with Christ and that is um, that of union or membership in Christ's body the church <clears throat> and um, first uh, first Corinthians 12:13. shows us this. Uh, It says there, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And so now, okay, this is is speaking of being baptized by one spirit, and um, it is uh, really that, that baptism of the spirit which incorporates us into the into the body but we've um, seen how that also is associated with with um, baptism, <clears throat> and um, particularly as uh, as we've seen in uh, Galatians <clears throat> three just a moment ago, where this um, same description. Um, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, where in Galatians it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male or female, one or in Christ, for all who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Um, And uh, another place we see this is in Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, where it says there is one body, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So here, 
Paul speaks of the one baptism, um, speaking also of the one body and the one spirit. And um, it is uh, by the one spirit that we are baptized in the one baptism uh, into the one body. We are made members of the church um, and we share in the blessings of the gospel together um, in union with one another even as we're in union with Christ. And um, this uh, union, this unity of the body um, is really beautifully uh, depicted um, in one last passage that I want to look at. And uh, that is Acts 2 and verse 41. <clears throat> Once again, back in Acts 2, following Peter's sermon, the believer's response, Peter's command to repent and be baptized. And um, in verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they were baptized, they become members of the church, they become members of, of the body. And um, gloriously this day, 3,000 souls were were added to them. Then it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we see the life of this new covenant community, this this new covenant church um, as as people were baptized into Christ and they were joined through that into the church and living out then this life of, of faith and of love as God's people um, serving God seeking God, worshipping God serving one another, loving one another um, and uh, sharing this, uh, this glorious gospel with everyone um, and that's seen in that the Lord continued to add to their number day by day those who were being saved and so in this we see um, the acting out then of that great commission that our Lord gave the church that we saw in Matthew uh, 28 um, as they're taking that gospel and proclaiming it and making disciples of of here, those Jews among them, and soon then of all the nations. Um, so, um, so we see then that baptism uh, is the new covenant sign by which 
we are declared, we are received, we are numbered among Christ's people, but we are counted as citizens of his kingdom, we're called out of the world, and we're set apart to bear his name in the world as we proclaim his gospel to the world. So there's a lot more that could be said, um, but we are out of time, so I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, we do thank you so much for the glorious gospel of Christ that you have brought to us and that you have brought us through it into your church, into union with Christ, into an eternal hope, an eternal inheritance as your children. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand that reality uh, more deeply, appreciate it more fully, and live out um, the power of that in our lives more consistently here among one another and as we go out into the world that we might help others to know the glory of this gospel and that you might work even through us to bring more in, into uh, share in its amazing benefits. So Father, we pray now as we go together with the rest of the saints for the service of worship, Lord, that you would be among us by the power of your spirit, that you would draw us close to yourself, that you would work in each of us and in all of us, uh, Father, to uh, cause us to love you more and to walk more obediently to you as you enable us by your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys.